The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gabby, and welcome to What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Gabby. I'm the founder of What's Gabby Cooking, a food website. I'm a best-selling author, and now I'm a podcast host. What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking-related questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry, and so much more. Plus, every episode, I'm going to be highlighting a super cool company that's doing awesome things in terms of home delivery, since we're all limiting the amount of time we spend at the grocery store. So without further ado, this is What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. All right, guys, welcome back. Happy Wednesday. And I want to introduce you to my two new girl crushes, Jessica and Wendy from Food Heaven. They are amazing. And after the success of my mom's debut episode, episode, an episode, episode last week, I wanted to have them on because they are just two badass women in the food world doing incredible things. You're going to hear all about what we have to talk about, but I just love them. So here we go. Hi, ladies. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi. Thanks I'm, for having us. We're super excited to be here. Yeah, we're so excited. I am, you guys are my first guest besides my mom. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. What did you have your mom on for? Well, I feel like it's so it's so perfect because a couple weeks ago, somebody called in and asked about food noise, like how to avoid all the food noise in the industry and like how to I mean, we're going to go into all these different things. But when I answered the question, I said, I just need to call my mom. Like my mom is going to be able to respond to this better than I would because she raised me. And so that's what we did. <laughs> yeah. I remember you also, I was listening to your episode and you referenced your mom. Um, you, I think you're talking about like spices and keeping them on the shelf for too long. Yes. And right? she, she keeps hers right next to the stove, which is you don't want, you want to keep them away from the heat oh, so right. they last even longer. So I don't know if she's listened to that episode. It's unlikely, <laughs> but I will, I will call her after this. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, before we get into all the questions, I want to know how you guys found each other and started and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, well, we actually first met at this activist dinner. Wendy was a member. My friends were members and they, I came with them and I, did we even talk at that dinner, Wendy? I, I remember like I was playing spoons and I was like super competitive and intense, but you were like along the sidelines yeah. just looking. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Did we talk though? Like then when did we go into like, I think we were just like cordial. I don't okay. know that we had like a full-blown conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So then like flash forward, I went back to school. Um, I was a, initially a journalist and then I went back to become a dietitian. And Wendy hit me up like, hey, I want to like meet up with you and talk about this. I'm interested in this as well. And then from there, we kind of like both had a similar interest, but also like became friends and our friend circles kind of like intertwined. So that's how we initially met. And then do you want to talk about like... Yeah. So then Jess was working at the farmer's market here in New York City. And so they were hiring at the time for like nutrition educators and people to do cooking demos. And I was interested in going back to school for nutrition. She was already doing her graduate program. Um, And so she kind of mentored me in a way and we worked together and it was really fun. Here in New York, the growing season ends around November. So we were like, oh, well, how can we continue providing this education maybe on a larger platform? Because we saw 
saw just how beneficial the information was for the community because specifically we were providing demos in communities that had very little access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And they were just so inspired to like try out all of these seasonal foods and like especially with the tools that we were giving them for how to incorporate it in a way that was culturally relevant to them. So, you know, a lot of the people that we were working with, they were from Latin America or they were Black American. And so we would try to make all the information culturally relevant. And they were just so grateful and so engaged. We were like, okay, this is it. Like, we need to try to provide this information on a larger platform. At that point, I mean, that was like nine years ago. Like, we didn't know what YouTube was. Blogging was not really a thing back then. Um, So we just started putting out videos on the local TV channel in Brooklyn. And... You know, then our friend who had started on YouTube, she was like, girls, like you need to put this online so more people can see it. And this can potentially be a business. And we were like, girl, what are you talking about? (laughs) She was like, no, she's like, you can actually like you can generate some income from this. So we were like, oh, my God, because at that point we were just doing it as a passion project. Um, So, yeah, throughout the years, it kind of turned into a whole business. (laughs) Now we have a podcast. We have a cookbook. We create lots of recipes and educational materials, but it really just started out as us wanting to educate our friends and family on how to create simple, nutritious meals that use foods from their culture. I think that's incredible. And speaking of which, during quarantine, I feel like that's uber important because not everyone cooked before this. Everyone was used to ordering in or going out all the time. What would you say, keeping all that in mind, would be three pantry staples that everybody should have in their kitchen and like what you like to do with them? So I'll start. I would say definitely canned fish of all types <laughs> because it's so nutritious. Like lately, I've been getting into sardines. Usually my go-to canned fish would be tuna because I'm basic like that. That's not basic. Like, <laughs> okay, because I'm like, tuna is like my go-to thing. I just throw it on whatever. But now um, I've been experimenting with sardines just to kind of switch it up. And it's, you know, very nutritious, packed with omega-3. So is tuna, good amount of protein. Also anchovies just for flavor. Like, I'll just kind of like love. I know I love anchovies. I just kind of dice them in. And usually I pair it with garlic and red onions and I make kind of like a saute and then add that either to toast or mix it in with pasta. And it adds such a flavor boost to it. Um, you're speaking my language. There were there were carbs (laughs) involved in both of those. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So if I had to pick my hands down favorite, it would be beans. Because, I mean, you can use them literally in everything. I probably have like 20 different cans of beans, especially when the whole like quarantine started. I was like, okay, that's the thing that I need. And then my second thing, which isn't a pantry item, but it is something that I always have. It's tortillas. Yes. Um, Because, right, like they're so overlooked, I feel, because A, they're cheap. You can get like a whole thing for a couple bucks. You can also freeze them, which is like, I love doing that too. If I know I'm not going to use all of the ones that I have, but B, you can incorporate them into so many different things. So for example, like whenever I'm hungry and I need a quick snack, I make a quesadilla or you can brush them with a little bit of oil, put them directly on the stove and make a tostada and kind of top that with like some maybe refried beans, some veggies. And then of course, like there's always tacos, which if I have nothing to make, I always have like tortilla canned beans and some kind of veggie, whether fresh or frozen, I saute and include that. So those would be my like number two things that I always have. I'm obsessed with beans and tortillas. Talk to me about flour or corn. What's your preference? 
corn. Jazz. Oh, um, I was sorry. I was like, I had a little bit of like a thinking about um, the whole quarantine and like flour. When you said flour, I was like, wait, flour sold out. You can't get flour. No, you're like, tortillas. oh my God, I'm triggered. I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, literally yeah. triggered. Like, you know, I can't get flour. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I go back and forth. I, I usually always have both of them. But but Wendy, your, your corn. Yeah. All day. I Corn. I think it's because I go to Mexico City a lot and corn is kind of like the default. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I think it tastes better and I just... I, I like the texture better. What's your favorite restaurant in Mexico City? <laughs> oh my god! I know it's I the worst to... question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have a five-page um, guide. Wait, I'm so upset! I, can... I didn't meet you before I went. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna share it with you because it—I mean—that's just like so hard to pick because it also depends like how fancy you want to get or how like street food you want to get. But I will share with you because it's okay. made public and I've shared it with our audience. But there's so many on there. Yes. Depending please, on what you're into. Please send it to me. I want to cross-reference it on the Gobby's Guide to Mexico City and then link to it Ooh. on the blog oh post because it is Mexico City. The food was like, well, A, we ate so much food for the four days we were mm-hmm. there. I was like, I'm going to get home and I'm going to gain weight. And then we got really sick on the last day because I think I drank too many margaritas with unfiltered ice and I lost four pounds and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, I feel like people don't, well, not people, like maybe people who've never, you know, been to uh, Mexico or Mexico City before don't know how amazing it is, but it is literally the, like my favorite place. I think Wendy's hands like, down, hands down on earth. Oh my, it, it's just incredible. The food. I mean, we were talking about LA food. Like, I don't, I feel like Mexico City food is even better than like any food. I agree. I've it's so in innovative because, it's not just uh, Mexican food. Like exactly. they have such a great variety of food from around the world and just the architecture. Um, it's just a very warm place to be and you feel very welcome when you're exactly. there. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. We it. we had like, I don't know, the last day that I was there, last time we went, what was it, Wendy? It was like um, Mediterranean food was that place? Yeah. That was I just it was like, like incredible. Yeah. Yum. Anyways. One more question about Mexico City before we go back to other things. Um, I got this question so much, but did you feel, I felt entirely safe the entire time I was there. Did you ever feel unsafe? Oh, no. I, I feel safer in Mexico City than I do in New York. <laughs> <Absolutely>. Like, <laughs> I felt so safe. And honestly, like when people ask me that, sometimes I'm like, I kind of, I'm like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't go because I just don't want people to discover it. Right. <laughs> like, wanna, Not that wanna, we discovered Mexico City. <laughs> we did not discover Mexico City. It, <laughs> the indigenous people of Mexico did. <laughs> it's just, just like, you saying. know, because it's not like a super touristy destination. And so, you know, I remember when me and Jess started going, it was I think it was like six or seven years ago and it was way less touristy than it is now. And I think it's it's more charming in that way where you don't see like just this rush of people kind of everywhere. Um, it's not like super trendy. It's like trendy in a Mexico city kind of way, like in a local way. It's right. Not, yeah. It's not like Cancun. No. You know? Well, there are no beaches near it. So like you're, yeah, right. you're not, you're not going for a tan. <laughs> right. right. We might right. have to move our HQ. I mean, I know. <laughs> I'm down to join you. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So we talked earlier at the top about being dietitians and all like really 
that being your background. But we just talked about quesadillas and tacos and toast and all these kinds of things. So I would love to know your secrets to maintaining balance and what like intuitive eating means to you. Because I feel like the word intuitive is very scary to people sometimes. Yeah. And I think my cooking is very intuitive, but I don't use that word to describe it because it can be like misinterpreted. So I'd love to know your guys' take on that. Yeah, I agree that the word is very scary. Even I was scared (laughs) when I first heard. I'm like, what is this? I don't understand. It took me a while actually to really get on board with like what it was, um, what the message is and really internalize it. So it's totally okay if you're feeling like that at first. What it means to me is kind of tuning out all of the noise and using your internal wisdom to make decisions about what, when, and how much to eat. And sometimes people feel a little confused because they're like, well, wait a minute. Like some of this doesn't even feel that intuitive. Like for example, maybe I'm not hungry in the morning, or maybe I'm not hungry consistently throughout the day. And part of intuitive eating is using your mind as well. It's not only like, you know, your hunger, your fullness, but it's actually putting those two things together, like kind of your body awareness, but also like your, the knowledge that your mind has about maybe what you might need or, you know, projecting what energy needs you might have throughout the day is part of intuitive eating as well. So for example, let's say that you went through something really horrible and you're, you know, having a really hard time and you're, you're just not hungry. Um, and so if you were thinking that intuitive eating was just listening to your body, you may just not eat anything. But, you know, when you bring in the mind um, piece of it too, your mind can kind of make that decision. Like, you know what, I know you're not hungry, but you still need energy to get through the day. So it's important that you still eat something. So it's kind of bringing those two things together, which I feel like is really confusing for people at first. It takes a lot of time to get the hang of it. But um, once you kind of do it and embrace it, you feel so empowered and you can make decisions that really work for you. And it's kind of like you said, your philosophy um, and even your cookbook title, which is eat what you want. Like that's kind of the whole intuitive eating thing. And of course you don't ignore nutrition with intuitive eating. We focus on gentle nutrition. That's obviously important too. We're both dietitians. We care about like balanced eating and nourishing yourself, but that's not the only reason that you eat. Um, Pleasure is also a perfectly valid reason to eat something as well. Wendy, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I'll also add that I think body kindness is really an important aspect to intuitive eating, Um, especially now with social media. There's just so much information. There's information overload about what you should be eating, about what's right to eat, about what diet you should follow so that, you know, you can live until 200 or so that your body can like look a certain way or whatever. And with intuitive eating, it's really about going back to your body and, and really being in your body when you're eating and seeing like what actually feels good to me because honestly a lot of the times it's not going to be what like that influencer is telling you that you should be eating you know it's great to get inspiration like we both have you know food platforms and it's great to like try recipes and all that stuff but there's a lot of information that's very restrictive out there as well and tells you like you shouldn't eat this or that you know this is the right way to do it and you know with intuitive eating is really about being kind to your body and and listening to your body and kind of like muting out all of the static that we're getting on the day to day. Yeah. And I would also add respecting your body too. That's a huge 
component and one of the principles of intuitive eating because I feel like a lot of us approach food as a way to like control your shape or your weight or whatever. And a lot of that is actually not even necessarily in our control. For example, like 70% of our weight is genetic. And so with intuitive eating, you kind of take that all into account and think about, yeah, how do you respect your body and, you know, not try to change it necessarily? Yeah. And being kind to yourself, I feel like is a thing that we all forget about sometimes. And especially in the social media world, there's a lot of, you know, body shaming and all that, that kind of stuff. And it's on each other to lift each other up and not let that noise get in our heads. And I said something on a podcast about like when I bend over, I have rolls and like, I don't care because I want to have a grilled cheese. And if I can't have a grilled cheese, but I'm five pounds skinnier, that's not going to be as much fun. And I think people need to think about that kind of stuff. So I love what you guys stand for. This was not something I prepared to ask you, but I just want to know your guys' take on all the supplements out there. Mm. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) We just did an entire episode on supplements. I'm going to listen. Yeah, especially now, you know that there's a lot of supplements that are being pushed out for like immunity boosting or like, you know, so you won't get sick because there's so much panic around COVID-19. And so we really dove into the research uh, specifically about zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C and elderberry, because I think those are like the really trendy ones and kind of like unpacking what the science has to say. And I mean, in a nutshell, I'll just say that the evidence is very inconclusive and that this is I mean, the supplement industry is a very lucrative business. And unless you have a deficiency, then absolutely, you know, supplements can be a great tool to make sure that you're getting the nutrients that you need to fill in any gaps. But aside from that, I mean, that's why we do a lot of education around balanced eating, because we want to make sure that you're getting a wide array of different nutrients from different foods so that you don't have to supplement. And then, you know, for whatever reason, if, if there's any gaps, then we can use that as a tool. But you know, foods should be first and foremost in terms of like getting the nutrients that you need. It's not like everyone doesn't need to be supplementing. Right. And if you're eating whole foods and, you know, everything in the rainbow, like and colorful, like you should be getting a lot of I always, I ask because like everyone always asks me if I take protein powder and all these different things. And we've had all sorts of fertility issues and I've never taken any of it before. But I'm also not interested in starting because I feel like we have no long term research about how they affect your body or your internal systems long-term. Right, exactly. So I think that's what people, um, they don't really necessarily always think about that when it comes to stuff, or even if it's safe. Right. Um, That's the first question I ask. Uh, One of the first questions I ask clients is like, what supplements are you taking? And I really am asking them just to make sure that there's no evidence of harm, because for some of them, they're really shocked when we go um, to, you know, some of the literature, there's like a good website. It's called examine.com where you can put in any supplement and it'll tell you what all the research says. And if there's any like, uh, you know, pause for cause, what is it? Cause for pause <laughs> where it's like, maybe I shouldn't be taking this because it's been found to cause liver cancer or whatever. So you have to think about those things as well. We don't always have all the information to say that something is safe. Yeah, 100%. So speaking of eating whole foods and colors of the rainbow and all that kind of stuff, this is a question I get all the time on the podcast. What are your favorite things you're making right now that you can make today and freeze for later so you don't have to cook every day? 
Love that question. So I'm going to go with just some of my favorite foods to freeze. And not all of these are like plant-based, which is fine because they offer like really great nutrition as well. Um, So cheese, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Any hard cheese, I usually buy them in bulk and then I just throw them in the freezer. I don't have experience freezing um, soft cheeses. Gabby, I don't know if you do, but I find that like the texture kind of gets funny. So I I don't really mess around with the soft ones. But anything like cheddar or Monterey Jack or Swiss, even Parmesan, I just throw that in the freezer and it'll last for like months and months. Also bread. I know a lot of people right now are making bread at home, whether you make it or whether you buy it in the store, like bread is great for freezing and all you have to do. I honestly think it tastes better actually when I freeze it as soon as I bake it I slice it let it cool throw it in the freezer and it's like even fresher than having bread that's like a week and a half old you know what I mean so I I really enjoy doing that and then also tofu and I actually like the texture of tofu once it's been frozen and pressed because it's kind of chewier mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it has more of like that meaty feel so those are like three of my go-to um, foods to freeze I love that, that are like really nutritious and flexible and yeah. I and I agree with you about the hard cheeses and I don't mess with the soft cheese in the fr- in the freezer I'm just gonna eat that now and yeah if things exactly. get dark we're just out of soft cheese <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay Jess what love do you it. think Yeah. So my um, favorite tip comes from Budget Bites. We had her on our podcast maybe like last year. And she says that whenever she makes like any kind of meal, so let's say like a soup or a stew or something like that, she does like individual portions that she freezes in plastic baggies. Um, I guess you could also, if you didn't want to use plastic, you could also uh, just put it in an individual Tupperware. But that has been like genius and a lifesaver. So again, if I make like something really big on Instapot and I know I'll probably just want one portion at a time, I'll go ahead and freeze it that way. Mac and cheese is another one that's really yummy to freeze and then reheat. I have a really good, if anyone wants like a vegan (laughs) mac and cheese recipe with butternut squash and carrots and onions, like on our website. Um, Or sometimes I'll do it like half and half, like add a little extra veggies and also add the cheese on top as well. So those are the two things that first come to mind. Also want to piggyback off what Wendy said that certain ingredients work really well. Um, So for example, chipotle and adobo, like, you know how you always have like a couple of them in a can. So you can always like freeze them individually. Same thing with tomato paste, like just, you know, you sometimes don't need a whole can of that, like taking that leftovers, freezing it individually works really well. Also, I'm trying to think if there's any other ones that are coming to mind. Those are like the main things. Those are good. So sofrito. Do you ever freeze them in ice cube trays so you can just pop out like a little little portion at a time? That's my favorite. Sure do. So good. (laughs) Same wavelength over here. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. And this is great. I just feel like I want to be friends forever. (laughs) I I know. know. Me too. Uh, We got to hang out. We really excited to go to LA next time. Whenever that'll be. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we're at foodheavenmadeeasy.com on socials. On IG, we're at foodheaven. That's where we're most active. So you can find us on there. Great. All about the Instagram. Instagram yeah. vibe. <laughs> and our podcast, um, make sure to subscribe. That's uh, the Food Heaven podcast. Yes. yes. And Same it's all part coming. of the Dear Media family. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. This was so much fun. Thank you guys for coming on. This was so, you're our, thank you for being my second guest. <laughs> Love it. We're honored. <laughs> so I'm fun. Sorry. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. 
All right, that's it for today's What's Gobby Cooking in Quarantine podcast. Be sure to tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future until quarantine is over. (laughs) If you have any questions that you want answered, give me a call, 888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you have a super cool small company you know about that deserves to be highlighted, leave it as a voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out whatsgobbycooking.com and I will talk to you guys very soon. Bye.